Welcome back to Bite Size Sports. It's the first episode of 2023, and we are very happy to be here with you. Before we dive into our platter of NBA, NFL, and major college sports, uh, we'll call it news, I don't know. We need to take a minute here to talk about DeMar Hamlin and mainly just to acknowledge and point in your direction or to point you in the direction of the Chasing M's Foundation. Uh, DeMar Hamlin had previously set up a toy drive for children and at this point I believe it's received up to four million dollars in donations so we need to address of course DeMar Hamlin uh, the bad injury, horrible situation that we all know about that happened on Monday night. I'm not going to get into it. We won't show any clips of it on our channel, on our network, but we're not going to ignore it either. Of course, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to Hamlin, the Hamlin family, to Damar and his family. And again, we just thought it would be um, a good time as we started here to say if you wanted to do something to help, apparently... The Chasing M's Foundation is the thing to do. So millions of dollars, $4 million to my last count, has been donated in DeMar's name. So that is fantastic. There has been some good news on Twitter as far as his health, but they were not really getting a lot. So we won't dive into any of that now. Let's pause briefly before we dive in. And welcome back, folks. Don't worry, we will give you some show first before the ad. But let's start with some rumors, shall we? So according to a source in the Worldwide Leader, the Panthers owner and Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh have discussed a job. Now, I will give you three guesses as to which job they are alleged to have discussed, but allow me to take this time to mention a couple of other Jim Harbaugh, uh, some other teams, I guess, that have been mentioned in the same breath or are rumored to be courting Mr. Harbaugh. Now, I'm going to start exactly where you expect me to start in Indianapolis, because those of you who watch or listen to the Indy Intercept podcast, or maybe even have caught an episode of The Bounce, both of which are on Stadium Rant, would know that I have a card of the number 12, the original number 12, Jim Harbaugh, Indianapolis Colts quarterback, at one point also wore number 4. Yeah, he's our guy here. We love us some Jim Harbaugh in Indianapolis, and he has also been rumored to be involved in talks with Jim Irsay. Now, I don't have any sources on this matter, so take that with a big old grain of salt because while I have plenty of sources for rumors in the Indianapolis Colts world, I don't really have a source on this right here. So this is just conjecture. This is hearsay. This is not a real conversation that I am aware of, but the talk is that, of course, Irsay is giving Jimmy a call. I've also heard the Raiders. Now, I'm going to shoot that one down almost immediately. Here's the thing with the Raiders, if you don't know, they're kind of cash poor because of John Gruden's deal, right? 10-year, however many, 100 million, something or other. So, the word on the street is that the Raiders, even if they want to fire Josh McDaniel, can't really do that right now. Unless, uh, I guess you have someone on staff, maybe, that's willing to take a promotion without a raise. Now, kids, don't ever do that. A younger version of myself has done that, and it's not wise. Don't ever do it. Now, eh, you might... There's only 32 of these jobs, so maybe it's possible, but I would expect Josh McDaniel to still be there in Oakland. Let me know, who else have you heard? I know these are not the only Jim Harbaugh rumors. I want to hear from you. Let me know in a comment. You can find us on Twitter at Bitesize Sports. You can find me on Twitter at Kevnevic underscore show me. Just tag me if you want in a thread. If you see these rumors, I want to hear about them. We are going to do a little bit of a Jim Harbaugh um, 
blind date scenario. You know, we're going to find the best possible best possible courtship for Mr. Harbaugh because I do think the time might be right for him to make his return to the NFL. Though I think that Michigan job isn't too bad. You know, it's definitely nothing wrong with it. And with a guy like Sean Payton continuously being rumored to come back as well, maybe Harbaugh will wait that situation out and see how it goes. But before we dive into the NBA of it all and our big NCAA story, which I'm most excited to talk about, which we're saving for the end, let us pause for a quick break and a word from our sponsor. All right. Thank you, sponsor. And let's dive right into the NBA before we hit our scores from Monday night. Let's talk about the two biggest stories in the NBA, at least according to me. And the first one is the injury of Zion Williamson, who just a couple days ago was being discussed in the MVP discussion. I I don't know about Zion for MVP, but I do know that Zion out for three weeks is a big deal for the Pelicans. Now, what we need to discern here is the timeline for Brandon Ingram. So we're going to circle back. We're going to touch on that later because ultimately, if if Ingram's going to be back soon, I genuinely believe the Pelicans will be fine because it is my opinion, it's well documented on this channel, that Brandon Ingram is the best player right now in New Orleans. So they've done everything that they've done so far this year without their best player. I believe if they have him back and they're without their second best player, maybe it's a 1-1-A one, one situation, I still think they're going to be okay. Obviously, would they rather have Zion out there? Of course. That's a dumb question, Mr. Strawman. Why did you ask it? But if Brandon Ingram's out for all three of these weeks that Zion is also out, this could be the kind of blow that sets the Pelicans back. Yes, they'll be fine when they come back, and I'd still expect them to make the playoffs, but are they going to lose enough games in a three-week period to make them be unable to host in the first round and therefore potentially draw a really bad first-round matchup and, and take what could be a season that I, I've said, uh, it's on record already, I believe this team could be in the Western Conference Finals this year if things break properly for them. This is not the kind of good break I was talking about. So Zion's out for at least three weeks. We'll talk more about this and more in depth about it over the coming days. So stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified when we focus on the Pelicans, one of our favorite teams to watch so far this year. And might I add, it's a good time for me to plug the bounce again, which is on the Stadium Rant YouTube channel. You can find it. Stadium Rant HQ on Twitter as well, and go ahead and subscribe to their Spotify. You can listen to me talk football there on the Indy Intercept and upcoming Titans Tilt podcast. But let's get back into the NBA. Cavs star Donovan Mitchell, you may have heard about this, scored 71 points on Monday. Unfortunately for him, he has terrible timing. Did not pick a great night to have a career and uh, like NBA uh, his, a historical night for the NBA. And interestingly enough, he was issued a PED test the day after. That random testing, huh? That'll get you. I have to say, this is a known issue or at least a common complaint in the NFL. You see several players post their random text message, uh, their random testing text messages, I should say. See them post those screenshots on Twitter. Happens a lot. Anytime a defensive player has a three or four sack night, you can bet that guy's getting drug tested before his next game. I find it interesting that it happens in the NBA, and I want to know your opinion on this, and I, I'm going to go ahead and just give you mine unsolicited. I don't understand, so what's the performing enhancing drug that is going to make you better with basketball? So is there something, I'm sure that maybe there's something that can help with your stamina, but it's not, like if you bulk up in the NBA and you get jacked, it's not like 
you can be Sammy Sosa, who is a twig, and then all of a sudden he's hitting 60 dingers a year. And, and Mark McGuire and some of those guys would argue that despite the fact that they were on PEDs, it, it, it made their home runs go further. It didn't necessarily account for all of their home runs. I'm not here to have that argument with you, but what I am here to argue is what PED could Donovan Mitchell have been on that's going to explain his 71-point night? I don't know about the performance-enhancing drug that just makes you money that night and just, you know, makes your shots go down. It's I think it's kind of goofy by the NBA to test him after that game, especially when it's so transparent like that. Random? Really? Come on, that's random. We're just going to test him after his 70-burger. Nothing to see here, folks. What? Let me know, though. What do you think? Is it? I, I'm assuming... Of course, it's well within their right to do so. But do you think that's kind of goofy? Of course, it, it doesn't necessarily. I should, before I move on, point out that random testing doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to draw names out of a hat uh, each day. And it's going to be that kind of random. It's <laughs> It means that at any time on short notice, they can test you at random. So I do, I can almost hear the clattering of the keyboard now the angry person trying to explain to me something that I do know yes I understand the definition of random drug testing and so by definition this is what they're doing this is what you agree to as a player but I just think it's goofy um, there's I would be shocked and you can Come back and call me an idiot if it's found out that Donovan Mitchell was on some performing enhancement drug during this 71 night. No way. No way, champ. I'm not buying it. But what I am buying is the Indiana Pacers, man. They beat the beleaguered Toronto Raptors on Monday to the tune of 122-114. This was a home game for Indiana, who's 13-7 and seven at home now. The poor Raptors, who are 16-21 and 21 overall, 5-13 and 13 away from home. The Pacers improved their record to 21-17. and 17. They, It was really a, a tale of, uh, it was a seesaw, if you will. It's not even really a tale of two halves. It was a tale of four quarters, uh, each team alternating who would win each quarter. The Raptors started out with a 33-point first quarter taking the lead, but the Pacers would outscore the Raptors by 13 and drop 37 in the second quarter, which would be quickly negated by the Raptors' 33-25 victory in the third period. But the Pacers bounced back to win the fourth by seven, so a seesaw all the way. Tyrese Halliburton had himself a pretty nice game moving on and staying in the Eastern Conference, at least as far as the home team is concerned. The Charlotte Hornets continue their, well, uh, quest for Victor Wembanyama, huh? The Lakers continue to try to stay alive. They're at 16-21 and 21 after this 121-115 victory against Charlotte. LeBron had a nice-looking reverse jam, as I'm seeing in the highlights, but This was a fairly handily won Lakers game, but I do think it's worth noting that the Hornets outscored the Lakers by 12 in the fourth. This game didn't need to be close at all. The Lakers kind of fell apart there in the fourth quarter. Let's actually take a closer look at the box score on this one as we dive in and see what exactly happened to the Lakers. Do we need to be concerned by this fourth quarter collapse? LeBron... 43 points. He continues to do much more than A, anyone expected him to do at 38 or that any 38-year-old should at least be expected to do, and B, uh, too much than should be asked of him at this point in his career and at this point in a season, but it is what it is. Anthony Davis is out and LeBron has been quite vocal as we have been here on this channel about this current Lakers team not being built properly. It doesn't benefit him. There aren't shooters around him. Don't worry, we will go over that clip on tomorrow's episode of the Wild World of Sports, which you can find on our YouTube channel. So please go ahead and check that out. Go ahead and subscribe so you'll be notified when it is there. We're going to talk about the Lakers quite a bit. So it's it's been a while. So 
just cut me some slack, all right? We're not we're not Lakers Central over here. We want to talk about all the NBA teams, but it's high time we talked about Los Angeles and LeBron's uh, apparent the the apparent riding of LeBron. Let me rephrase that according to Darvin Ham. So I understand the temptation, but I really think it's a bad idea. This Lakers team is going to have to make some moves. Uh, and honestly, even if they aren't able to do it this year, you may have to start considering the fact that LeBron is one of the few assets you have left. And if you're not going to make it work, you might be trading him in the offseason. So maybe let's not play him 40 minutes a night, Darvin. Somehow, this front office and the coaching staff need to get on the same page, need to figure out what they are doing and what we need to do is move on because let's face it folks the hornets how would you like me to break this down they do not have a bench they combined for let me see here 27 points off the bench that's not good uh, most of their starters you know well let's see actually rosier led the team with 27 so alonso okay 24 points on 22 shots did not shoot well from three Plumley. A nice 18 points. Gordon Hayward, 2 of 9. A, a very bad looking 8 points on 26 minutes. Yeah, there's not much here with Charlotte other than uh, I, it's never good when your coach is calling you out through the media. But we talked about that on the bounce last week. So I'm not going to harbor on it now because it's time for me to address two teams that I have had to talk about a lot recently. One being the New York Knicks, who beat the Phoenix Suns 102-83. to Now, the Suns have been in a bad spot because of injuries. They've been kind of up and down. And the Knicks, they've been up and down. They've faced some injuries, too. They had Jalen Brunson out with a hip injury. R.J. Barrett uh, cut his finger, missed a couple of games. And, uh, wow, did he not play in this one as well? I absolutely did not. So, interesting. So, RJ Barrett is still out. Brunson came back. Had a good night. 24 points on 18 shots. He, uh, not a good night from the foul line, though. About 60% from the free throw line. That's not good. Quentin Grimes, uh, regressing a little bit uh but hey he's still been a good story and you look it's still like he contributed he had 12 points he had five assists three rebounds a block only one turnover and he's plus 10 julius randall of course was the big story leading all scores or at least leading did he lead all scores? yes he led all scores with 28 and speaking of <laughs> leading all scores i don't know why i felt the need to confirm <laughs> make sure there was no phoenix sun that had outscored julius randall and uh, that takes me <laughs> uncomfortably to uh, this next segment, which has no name because I didn't know it was coming. But it's called uh, Let Me Read Off All of the Players for Phoenix That Played and Scored. Because depth was not a problem for them in the sense of everyone but Bismack Biombo saw some time. And in fact, three, no, let's see, four. Four of their better scoring nights, yeah, came off the bench. So they had only five players hit double digits, and two of those were bench players. And then they had two bench players score eight. So here we go. Oh, drum roll, please, on your end, because I'm certainly not going to do it. Let's roll through the Sun starters. Tory Craig, four points in 23 minutes. Mikkel Bridges, 10 points in 35 minutes on 11 field goals. DeAndre Ayton, 12 points on 13 field goals in 29 minutes. Chris Paul, 11 points. I'm going to pause here to mention his negative 38 plus minus. These other guys, theirs isn't good either. But Chris, poor guy, he's out there, I guess, the most. Uh, he didn't have any turnovers, so he can't contribute all of this to him. But a negative 38, 11 points on 11 shots in 30 minutes. Also only had two assists, which just tells you nobody else is making shots Landry Shamit six points on nine shots 25 minutes but wait there's more moving to the bench Dario Saric zero points on two field goal attempts in nine minutes only three point attempts last night I checked that guy was 6'10 I come on man I mean I get it I, I understand 
that you are a stretch four, but I mean, you're a, you're a he's a big guy. You know, you can you can't take one bunny. Your team lost by twenty. You know, you make try a layup. Anyway, Wayne Wright had eight points on sixteen minutes, a rare plus seven for the Suns here. Akogi had two points in four minutes. Not much to see there. He made his only basket. Good for him. Missed both free throws, though. Always somewhere to improve. Landale. Landale. Sorry. Two points in 19 minutes on three field goals. Campaign, the hero, had eight points. More importantly, was plus 19. He had seven assists. His eight points did come on three of seven shooting in 18 minutes. The unsung hero campaign. But there's still... Our two leading bench scorers, Washington had 10 points in 12 minutes on nine shots, and Lee had 10 points in 20 minutes on six shots. So you hear the problem there. There's no Devin Booker here. But the question I have to ask you, because, well, of course, Devin Booker on average is going to score more than 19 points, which is what this team lost by. So... One would think Devin Booker's averaging, what, near 30? At least like 27 points right now. So if you add Devin Booker's regular old game, Phoenix actually wins this one, not handily, but comfortably. Maybe they're shooting some free throws late in the game, but they're, they're up by five or six as long as Devin Booker shows up. So is... This near 20-point loss to the Knicks at home, is it really that big of a deal? So the Suns are 6-13 and 13 away from home. I do think that's a bit of a big deal. But again, you have to consider the context. Chris Paul has missed time. Devin Booker has missed time. I still don't know what's going on between Aiton and Bridges. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the wide world of sports. But something's not quite right with this team. But again... I'm not going to overreact here. This one looks ugly, but I think Phoenix is fine. We're still going to see them in the playoffs. They've got to figure some things out, though, if they want to get back to a finals. I do think they uh, leave a lot to be desired as, as far as that goes. So maybe there's a, a trade deadline move in Phoenix's future. But bef let's move on to the Sixers who hosted the Pelicans who are also there's a couple of teams who we also have uh, discussed their injury issues so the Sixers pulled out a nine point win they beat the Pelicans by six in the fourth after losing the third quarter they jumped out to an eight point lead in the first and then uh, proceeded to lose the next two periods and and jumped back this game. They were nursing a, a three-point lead going into the fourth, and they were able to extend it out to nine. The big takeaway is going to be the loss of Zion Williamson here, who had 26 points. There is still no Brandon Ingram. So when we have time to research that more thoroughly, we will talk about that in a future episode. Uh, the long-term effect that this could be having on New Orleans but the big takeaway here Philly wins this game they're 22 and 14 they're 15 and 5 at home and I'm going to pause briefly in our recaps to talk about some rumors that I've been hearing and this is a, another thing that I expect to discuss multiple times this week throughout our bite-sized programming but I continue to see rumors of James Harden wanting to return to Houston, and I just don't understand it with the extra context of last season or the off season in which James Harden, he has to deal with all of that tampering because he takes a team-friendly deal in order to sign P.J. Tucker and uh, his other former... <laughs> Uh, was it Harrell as well, Lantras Harrell? And what was it, the trade for Melton, I believe? They've got a bunch of, not that the Melton thing had nothing to do with the tampering, but it, it goes to this point that he has guys that he's played with before, guys that Daryl Morey all likes. And he took this team-friendly deal, in my opinion, I, I'm not alone here, uh, the whole reason that that was considered tampering is that it's a team-friendly deal and 
the idea that he would take that and then want to jump ship and go to Houston where things are not good. Yes, you have the potential for Victor. It's, I think, very likely as well that they'll end up with the two spot and potentially have a Scoot Henderson pick to deal with and, and maybe make some decisions about their future with some of their current guys right now. Why would James Harden want to leave Philly to go back to Houston? Answer me that, because from what I'm seeing, this team, Embiid had 42, by the way, in this win against the Pelicans. Harden had 27 with eight assists. An efficient night for him. Eight of 19 from the floor, three of nine from three, 80% from the foul line. Not Not a bad night. I mean, that's... That's a great night for what we're getting from James Harden now. Only one turnover, plus 10. Great. Why would he want to trade this in, this 22-14 and 14 team, 15-5 and five at home, to go back to Houston? I don't think it's going to be much easier for him in the West. That was my first thought. Like, oh, well, did the East get too complicated? Now he thinks he has an easier time out West. But that West is not easy for that Houston team. So I don't see it. I think it's kind of a nonsense rumor. But I do follow a few Houston fans on Twitter, and I'm seeing it a lot. So let me know what you think, because I don't necessarily want to chase this rabbit down the rabbit hole if it's just a waste of time. But if we think there's some merit to it, then we owe it to ourselves to look into it. So Sixers should be feeling good. Other than that, (laughs) in a pretty good spot. We're saving the Cavs game for last, just so you know. We are going a little bit out of order here. And let's talk about the Nets because it's very easy to talk about. 139 to 103. A spanking of the hapless Spurs, who are five and twelve away from home and twelve and twenty-five overall. The Nets are twenty-five and twelve. A nice little inversion there. Overall, and thirteen and five at home. They scored at least thirty-one points in every quarter. Thirty-one was the lowest, and it was in the fourth. After I think it was safe to say they were ready to let their foot off the gas pedal. So. 37, 37, 34, and 31. The Nets are firing on all cylinders. What do you think? Are they ready? I still have them right now, as it stands, third in the East. But that's with the two guys that they have, they could beat anybody in a series. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen in Brooklyn. Also, always active in the buyout market. You can't rule them out on any of these veterans that might be Moving on here in a month or two, so keep an eye out for Brooklyn. Don't let them sneak up on you. And Dallas, ah, there was a time I thought they might be able to sneak up on some teams. And they get a clutch win, although you you really maybe shouldn't be getting clutch wins against the Rockets, a 10-27 and 27 team that we just talked about for a little bit. Mavericks are 22 and 16 now. They're 7 and 11 on the road, which is better than some of the other teams we've talked about. But we talked about this again on the bounce and a little bit last week here on this program. We talked about Luca's magical night against the Knicks and how, yeah, that's cool, but it took a 60 20 10 triple double to beat a Knicks team that was missing its two best players. And now here again we see a, a five-point victory over a team that's in the the victor sweepstakes. So I'm very concerned for Dallas. I don't think they have the horses to keep up with this race, so to speak, and pun intended. But again, they are a team that could make some moves. It, this is when it gets really exciting for me as a basketball fan, as an NBA fan, because now we're starting to be able to recognize which teams really need some help that are, are potential playoff teams. But what are you really going to get if you don't add more to this? And we can start to find some trade pieces for ourselves. And, and the rumors start to swirl. And then there's always the buyout market. It's very fun an exciting time to be a basketball fan. A- unless you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, then you probably have an ulcer. You know, you're, you're tired of this up and down. But hey, at least Monday it was an up as uh, the Timberwolves beat 
the 24 and 13 Nuggets by 13 points at home. It should be noted that the Nuggets are 500 on the road. They're 10 and 10, which just goes to show you how good they've been at home. Uh, you know, it's a great team at home, but at least they're average on the road. But they lost this one by 13 points. The Timberwolves are a hard team to figure out. I'll be honest with you, I can't quite sort them out every time I think they are done dead to right so to speak they'll pull out a game like this and beat one of the better teams in the league so I am frustrated as an analyst and as a journalist and as a guy who admittedly had the Timberwolves on the rise this season and as another guy who has Anthony Edwards on his fantasy team I've been a little frustrated I can only imagine how frustrating it is to be a diehard Timberwolves fan because you see it on certain nights you see how talented this team is for instance this team beat the Denver Nuggets without D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns and it should be noted that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic played for Denver so uh, you just you scratch your head with Minnesota you're like what I don't understand it and it's not like they had some magic night off the bench they actually I mean Naz Reed didn't play because he had back spasms so they were missing him as well and the big night, let's see, Jaden McDaniels had 21, Edwards had 29, that was nice, Gobert had 8, <laughs> sorry, uh, <laughs> and then Anderson had 19, and uh, you know, Noah had 17, so it was a team effort, good for Minnesota, but I, I, w I can't put too much stock in it, we'll see what they do in their next game, wouldn't be surprised to see them lose that one by double digits, as, as much as it pains me to say that. And, wow, we had such a full slate on Monday. Are you kidding me? Warriors barely beat the Hawks in two overtimes, 143 to 141. The Warriors are managing some injury issues themselves, and they are doing it just as best as they can. They're staying afloat, 20 and 18 overall. Check this out, 17 and 2 at home. There has been... No more Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde NBA team when it comes to the home and away records than the Golden State Warriors. We've talked about a lot of teams today that can't win on the road. The Warriors are the worst one somehow. They just simply cannot do it, but somehow they're unbeatable at home regardless of the circumstance. But they pull this one out just barely, 143 to 141 in double overtime. This next one was a thumping as we we look at two teams really in opposite spots in the NBA spectrum as the Trailblazers beat the Pistons by nearly 30 points 135 to 106 the Pistons due to the additional injuries that they've that have been added to what was just a a young talented core that that wasn't really going to win they're just eh, finding it hard to stay afloat meanwhile the Blazers 1917 is their record and I, it almost feels rude to say this about a team that has Dame Lillard but they feel ahead of schedule to me I know 1917 isn't an amazing record but I wasn't expecting Portland to be as serious as a of a threat as a, as I see them right now you watch these guys play they would give anyone a hard time in a best of seven. Shaden Sharp, who gets plenty of time on this channel and over on our Stadium Rant channel, might be the best two-foot leaper in the league right now. He is just a freakishly good athlete. So much raw, untapped potential with that youngster offensively. The Blazers have a bright future, and they're they're winning some games now. So it's it's interesting to see. The Heat managed to win away, <laughs> something that uh, a lot of teams can't do right now, against the Clippers, 110 to 100. These guys, both teams have very similar standings right now. The Heat are 20 and 18. The Clippers are 21 and 18. Clippers finally starting to get healthy, and I think they're another team out west that we can't rule out. We have yet to see what a fully healthy Clippers team could do. And if we are blessed enough to actually see it for the remainder of this season, I, which I, I question, then who knows? We have Kawhi, we have Paul George, we have uh, lots of depth and talent here. We have the Morris twin, we have Zubats, Reggie Jackson, 
uh, Terrence Mann, Batum, Powell, John Wall. You got Kennard coming. I mean, they've got shooters coming off the bench. Like Powell and Kennard themselves coming off the bench. That's a that's a formidable offensive second unit. Now it didn't happen against Miami on Monday night. That's for sure. The four of these guys that played and Covington didn't play, but Batum, Powell, Wall, and Kennard combined for. 33 points, uh, which just isn't great amongst the four of them, but the, the whole team had a bad shooting night, it seems. Kawhi Leonard did not play, and the Heat walk away with a 10-point victory. So now it's time for the game of the night from Monday. The Cavaliers, in an overtime victory, they won by 11 in overtime, 15-4. to They outscored Chicago in overtime. The Cavs are now 24 and 14, 17 and 4 at home as the Bulls are 16 and 21, 7 and 12 away. I still think the Bulls should blow it up and sell off the assets that they have and get ready for a rebuild, but uh, just tell me what you think there. They uh, Bulls are another team that as soon as I'm ready to completely write them off, they will beat a good team and be like, "Well, uh, see, this is the this is the team that the front office probably thought they were putting together when they made these decisions. But 16-21, and 21, you just don't have it. What could the Bulls team possibly stand to win? Now, we talked about Donovan Mitchell being <laughs> randomly drug tested. Uh, did we talk about? No, we did not. I hope you saw his tribute to Wilt Chamberlain in a photo. He held up a card with 71 written on it, much like Wilt's photo of 100, although uh, Donovan added a Cavs chain that he was holding next to it. So, he, you know, you got that's what you got to do when you pay homage. You have to do something that makes it your own. So there have been only three 70-plus point games in, what, the last 20-something years. They have all three been achieved by shooting guards, and all three of those shooting guards were the 13th overall pick, those being Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and the great Kobe Bryant. So there's your cool stat, bro, for the day, brought to you by Bite Size Studios and, of course, Cool Stat Bro. Go ahead and follow that on Twitter if you'd like, but let's ask the audience out there, what do you guys think? Is Donovan Mitchell that dude? Uh, 71 points. I don't want to overstate it and start talking about the MVP in this moment, but do you think that's something that could be part of his future? What do you think about the Cavs' immediate future? Are they a real threat to win the Eastern Conference? Could we see them in the NBA Finals this year? I currently, I as difficult as it is, I have them fourth. The what the Nets are doing right now, although I believe the Cavs have a deeper roster and a better team, the Nets have uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So it's I have them just a half step above Cleveland, but Cleveland is legitimate. I think they have a real chance. We can't forget Philadelphia is right there. They're two games behind Cleveland. Maybe one game there. Two, two le- they've played two fewer games than Cleveland. Same amount of losses. So they're right there with them. But I think Cleveland is the truth. I think this is a team you have to look out for. They have lots of bodies in the front court that they can defend with. They have good ball handling guards. They have many players that can create shots for themselves when they need to. With Mitchell, with Garland, with Lavert, they, they can do a lot in Cleveland. So don't, don't sell these guys short. This is not a fluke. 24 and 14, absolutely not. So let me know what was your biggest takeaway from Monday night. I'd love to hear it. And now let's take a quick break before we talk about some college sports. The NCAA Division I Transformation Committee concluded its work with a 22-page report released Tuesday that recommends a variety of changes to the top level of college sports. And while we will talk about several of them, there is one in particular that will likely draw a lot of attention, and that is the recommendation to change the NCAA men's basketball tournament from 68 to 90 participants. What are your thoughts before 
you are subjected to mine, let me know right now. What are your thoughts? First take gut instinct on 90 teams in the NCAA tournament. I'm going to think out loud just a few takes just immediately off the cuff that I expect to hear. At 90 teams, why are we even playing a regular season? Why don't we just have a tournament where everyone is in? And that way, we no longer have to deal with bubble teams. Because, spoiler alert, I am going to tell you this now about my take. I'm here to tell you that whether it's 68, 90, 64, 16, 12, 8, 4, it does not matter. There will always be one to three teams for whom you could make an argument and say, man, these guys got robbed. So don't think that's going away. Don't think that we're going to stop arguing over 90 and 91, just like we didn't stop arguing over 67 and 68 when those four teams were added just a few years ago. So I think this will be very interesting. We'll never see a perfect bracket again, right? 90? Holy cow. My goodness. I think it would probably take the fun out of filling out brackets I will say that a 90 team bracket I I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy that but let's talk about the committee's recommendation briefly so the committee is recommending allowing 25% of teams in sports sponsored by at least 200 schools to compete in championship events did that make sense okay so let me unpack it and reverse engineer it in case uh, you didn't follow. So any sport that has at least 200 schools competing should allow 25% of those teams to compete for that sports championship. Does that make sense? Okay. So i.e. using that example with the bare minimum, if there are 200 schools, 50 should be allowed to compete for the championship. You with me? Capiche? We're moving on. Each sport will have the opportunity to take a look comprehensively at what the impact of expanded brackets might be and whether or not it's something they should pursue for their particular championship, said Ohio University Director Julie Cromer, who is the co-chairperson of this committee. And it should be mentioned that this is not something that's going to happen. It might not even be likely to happen. It is just their recommendation but the final report will be presented to the Division I Board of Directors for consideration ahead of next week's NCAA convention in San Antonio. A little fun fact we brought up last week that it was uh, about 115 years ago on December 28th that this little uh, NCAA deal was founded. So go ahead and check that out in the archives. But the report also pushed for more sport-by-sport -sport governance in Division I and enhanced expectations for Division I schools to create a more uniform experience for athletes. Now, I do want to take a minute. I should have done this at the start, but uh, these, all of this can be found at more detail. I'm not going to read the entire article for you, but this is an ESPN article. Let's go back to the top here briefly. Titled NCAA Recommendations Call for Bigger Championship Events. It is uh, Associated Press. And let me find the author we want to source here. Uh, it's just sourcing. It's just stating the Associated Press. So I'm sorry to the author of this article, but it's not written clearly here on ESPN. So I apologize. But there it is. That we get that information that I've read to you from that article. Now, before we talk more about the 90-team tournament, let's talk about some of the other recommendations because some of these might not get noticed by everyone, and I think there are some that are just as interesting. So, let's hear some of the notable recommendations. The first one being requiring schools to create a, quote, direct pathway for full-time clinical services of a licensed mental health professional exclusively dedicated to serving student-athletes. Now, this comes at a, an interesting time, as we've also seen notice of an Iowa player that is going to be leaving uh, to address his mental health. So, uh, it's hitting the news at the right time. Uh, 
a good move, I think. Look, mental health is a serious thing. A lot of people deal with it. A lot of athletes have come clean about it, and I think that has been healthy for a lot of us. And so this sounds like a pretty good recommendation. Let's go to the next one. Schools and conferences should create student-athlete advisory committees similar to those used by the NCAA to allow athletes to be more involved in decisions. That sounds like a players' union. Student-athlete advisory committees. I like it. I'm going to tell you, maybe maybe I am miscategorizing it, so don't, if you're anti-union, whatever, uh, don't let my characterization of this paint that in a negative light for you because that's just my opinion of it, but it sounds like a good idea. I think <laughs> the student-athletes who are so involved in generating and creating this profitable product should have some say in it probably so moving on schools and conferences should create i just read that one require more accountability training and certification for coaches that one had some emphasis on it all about that and even there have been times in the past with other certifications that it, it gets instead of uh, implied it gets suggested um, so I like seeing it require more accountability, training, and certification. You see that stuff even in, in state law and stuff. It's like, oh, this is a great idea. Uh, we will offer it to everyone, but we won't require it, which essentially means you haven't done a goddamn thing. The committee also recommended expanding permissible benefits to athletes to include more pay for travel, elite training away from the school, educational incidentals, and more money toward housing and meals. What is educational incidentals? That is the one I would like some explanation on, but other than that, sounds good. Elite training. These are some of those buzzwords. you got to be careful. got to be careful. Saying words like elite Elite training away from the school. That sounds like something a detractor would leech onto, grasp onto for dear life and say, well, if they need elite training, educational incidentals, what does that mean? More money toward housing and meals. That's You can't argue against that one. But I would like to know what an educational incidental means. I'm assuming, uh, let's say, a book gets lost or stolen. I'm sure that would cover it. You know, extra supplies needed. A uh, particular class requires uh, some sort of financial output. Maybe you need equipment for a lab or something like that. Maybe something that the student didn't see coming ahead of time. So there we go. I'm trying to explain educational incidentals to myself and therefore you. But the elite training away from school, I think that is interesting. Also would need to be more defined. But it... it None of this stuff sounds egregious to me as of yet, so let's continue, because here is my favorite of the uh, honorable mentions, as we'll call them. The committee also recommended a review of membership requirements to the top tier of Division One football. Sorry, I'm getting very excited in the studio here. So let me say that again. The committee also recommended a review of membership requirements to the top tier of Division I football, known as the Bowl Subdivision. Those requirements are now mostly tied to attendance. Now that just, it kind of sounds boring, right? It sounds like just nothing. What is this dumb jargon this dude spitting at me? But I, wanna th I want you to think about that. If the... If they are reviewing a membership or reviewing the membership requirements to the top tier of Division One football, what else are we currently seeing go on in the top tiers, arguably the top tier of Division One football? We are seeing a consolidation of the what is it going to be three major conferences when it's all said and done. And we've talked about this ad nauseum here on Bite Size Sports. In almost every time we have a Super Size Sports episode, if we have guests on this program, we have been talking about the slow decay of Division One college football and all of this, you know, relocation, this just reconfiguring of these divisions, and what it's going to mean. And we've been saying over and over again. What's likely going to happen is that Division One, as we know it is going to almost be like Division Two, 
and we're going to have the SEC, the Big Ten, maybe the ACC, whoever's left, uh, wherever Notre Dame goes. We're going to have these three to five, maybe, maybe five. I don't even know if five conferences will make it, but you get the, you get what I'm trying to paint for you here. We're going to have the new Division One, which is going to be uh, essentially those conferences, and that's it. Maybe an independent Notre Dame because of their money, but I doubt it. I think even even at this point, this is going to make Notre Dame have to pick a team at some point. But seeing this recommendation and how it plays into what we're already seeing in the college football landscape, it leads me to believe that we will soon have a new Division One that is going to have maybe 50 to 60 teams in it. And I think that is uh, friendly. But let me know what you think about not only this, but the 90 teams in the NCAA tournament. I pretty much said my piece already, so we'll just circle back to say this. I, I don't think this solves bubble teams. I think we will always have bubble teams, and I do question at 90 teams in the tournament, I start to question the validity of the rest of it. Conference tournaments start to mean less. I, I think regular season games mean a lot less at that point. You're going to see what you see with SEC teams currently in football where they just don't schedule anyone outside of their conference worth playing because why would they? All they need to do is win in conference and they'll, they'll make the tournament. So I don't think 90 is a good move for college basketball. If it's me, I'm keeping it at 68. But let me know what you think. Were there any other of these rules that you heard about? Are these other recommendations, I should say, that you are interested in learning more about? Uh, I would love to cover them if you are. So let us know on Twitter. Leave a comment. Twitter is Bite Size Sports. Find me at Kevnev Kevnevic underscore. We appreciate you so much. Stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe. We've got an updated content calendar coming up for you here in 2023. So be sure to stick around for that and thank you so much those of you who listened throughout 2022 we appreciate you the most peace